One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This week, the truth has been stranger than fiction. A congressman casually referenced domestic abuse during the Flint water hearing. Protesters tied themselves to their cars to block entry to a Trump rally in Arizona. And President Obama traveled to Cuba to watch some baseball. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode. Today, we're so excited to talk to Jimmy Williams from Decode DC. We were on his show when they first started, and so we're so happy to have him on ours now, talking about the race and other exciting things. We also wanted to thank everyone for subscribing to our email list, following us on Twitter, sending us emails. We just really have the best listener community. Um, So if you're interested in becoming a supporter of the show, you can visit pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. You can donate once or become a monthly subscriber. And we also have t-shirts for sale now. So check it out. (laughs) 
So we are so excited to be joined by Jimmy Williams today. Jimmy, you've done a lot of things in your life. I was looking at your bio. So uh, you work for Dick Durbin, who we've talked about on the show before, is someone we both uh, really fan. admire. And you've done some lobbying work. You contributed to MSNBC for a long time. You still contribute to lots of cable news shows and host Decode DC, which we both just love. So thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me, y'all. I appreciate it. How's the new uh, podcast going? Uh, it's going well. Uh, you know, I just interviewed Madeline Albright a couple of weeks ago, um, who, who in their life gets to think that they're going to interview um, uh, the first woman secretary of state, the first woman to be the ambassador to the U.N. Um, that was cool. Um, she's a pretty normal lady, to be honest with you. Um, I'm getting ready to interview Martina Navratilova, who you may think, why does she have anything at all to do with politics? But if you go on Twitter and you follow Martina Navratilova, you will find very quickly that Martina is one of the most politically active people out there. She is constantly, uh, and, and by the way, an unabashed liberal. It's, I mean, she is just front and center, or front and left, I should say. Um, <laughs> and I thought, you know what? I'm going to interview Martina Navratilova because if she wants to be involved in politics, then dadgummit, maybe she can help me or not. So, you know, we've got lots coming. Um, we're going to do some stuff on tax day uh, about how screwed up the tax code is. I don't think anyone would disagree with me on that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, honestly, it's, it's just, it's, it's fun. D, uh, Decode DC is a lot of fun to, to do. I have a great team. I've got a fantastic bureau chief and Alan Weiss who just gives me 99% free reign to go, go do what I like to, like to do, which is, explain politics people to people through the eyes of other people. Um, so it's a lot of fun. We're having a great time with it. And you guys are, uh, are, are killing it. You guys are doing great. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. We're having a good time, too. I mean, podcasting is such an interesting experience um, for us. You know, I have no experience in media whatsoever. I wonder what it's like for you kind of coming from the TV world, moving into this. Totally different. Um, it is, as I was explaining to my brother, actually, um, I, I've been interviewed for, you know, over five years now. You know, I'll go on TV and they'll say, what do you think, Jimmy? Well, that is a completely <laughs> and totally different thing than me uh, getting on the phone with um, um, you guys and, and saying, okay, Beth, Sarah, tell me, I, I need to know more about you interviewing, being the interviewee and being the interviewer, are they could not be more diametrically opposed to each other. And that's the irony of it, isn't it? Because without one or the other, you can't really have an interview. Um, but putting on your interviewer hat is a completely different ballgame. I've had to learn. I'm still learning. Um, my bureau chief all, loves to chide me, and she's right. And she's, oh, my God, she's so right. And she'll <laughs> say, just ask a question and then shut up. <laughs> and if they don't, and, and and the great thing is that she goes, and if they don't, that makes for really good podcasting. I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> so, oh, so, so the answer is, it's different than TV um, because TV is just so short. I mean, you know, uh, you have a you know a five minute block on TV, or you know, or a, a three minute block on TV to get your point across. Blah, whatever. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that you know more people are turning to other types of media to get their information, um, to get their news, to get their politics, to get their, their to get whatever it is that they want. 
um, and they're turning away from TV. I'm not saying that I don't like doing TV. I love doing TV. It's fun. The interaction is fun. Um, and you get to be on TV, right? Who, I mean, who, who doesn't want to do that? Um, but, but it's a completely different meeting. And I'm finding out through downloads and through a feed I'm getting that people really listen to podcasts. And that's oh, a, yeah. that's a fantastic thing. So. Well, yeah. we've got, we, it was so kind of you to have us on your show. We've had tons of people say, we found, I found your podcast through Decode DC. So thanks so much for that opportunity again. Absolutely. See, this is, this is, podcasters love podcasters. There's That's right. With that. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's a good segue, Jimmy. We'll put you back in the seat of what do you think about this? So <laughs> a couple of, uh, a couple of news items, um, in our segment that we call the pearls. Uh, the first thing we wanted to get your opinion on, did you catch any of the congressional hearings on Flint? Yeah. Um, welcome to the world of, of a, of a, a congressional hearing. And to be honest with you, I mean, look, that was theater at its best for Congress, which means it's really the worst kind of theater ever. Yes, um, I've been, um, in plenty of those hearings, both as a staffer and as, um, a witness, not a witness, but, um, someone, an eyewitness, if you will, looking at what's happening. Um, and it was grandstanding. Um, it was defend my guy, defend your guy, offend your guy, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it was as rote and as predictable as anything I've ever seen. Um, is I'm not downplaying. Listen, if you're from if you're from Flint or you're from a community that has lead in in, in your water, I am not under any circumstances downplaying the the seriousness and severity of that situation. It is a tragedy. It is a, a – that, that is government and, and going wrong on every single level. The feds have a blame here. Clearly, the governor has blame, obviously. Clearly, the local officials have blame. Um, but, but at some point, the buck's got to stop somewhere. And that's what the Congress failed to do in this hearing. You know, they failed to say, okay, look. Everybody has done something wrong here except for the children that now have, you know, special needs and the residents that have all these health problems. They did nothing wrong. So what are we going to do to fix it? That's what that was. That's what didn't happen. They just it extended was, I want the tragedy. To blame the governor. They just multiplied. Well, that's the tragedy. all it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and by the way, they multiplied the tragedy for their own cause. Yeah. So and, and it was a political cause. And it, it, there's no political cause that is worthy ever, period, no matter what, um, at the expense of a, of a child's brain. It's just not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I just, I look at that and I think, you know, I, and, and here's the worst part. I mean, you had a couple of members. You had uh, the chairman of the committee, Jason Chaffetz, and um, Tim Walker, who's from Michigan, although I don't think Flint, who out and out lied. They lied. They got up on the, uh, on the dais and they lied. Mm-hmm. And no one called them out on it. And Chris Savage from um, from Eclecta Blog, he, he 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 actually took that story and ran with it, and I put it out there, and it got some decent traction. But the bottom line is, they lied. They said they met with a with a with a whistleblower. It didn't. They oh they, they did not meet with him. I mean, that, that's the kind of stuff where you look at it and you go, okay, I, set aside blame, set aside the blame game. How about what are you going to do, and how much is it going to cost? And what are the ramifications cost to fix these pipes? And by the way, if anyone said Flint is the sole problem in this country, they're surely wrong. That's yeah. the sickest part of this, is this is happening all across America because we as a country and our politicians 
have refused to do anything when it comes to infrastructure. They yeah. suck. They just suck. And they, all, and they won't do it. I mean, Governor Haley in South Carolina, who I respect for what she did on the Confederate flag by, having that, by taking that down and calling the bluff of the racist down there. She, she, she just literally screwed over the House Republicans by siding with some Senate Republicans in the General Assembly to basically pass a Band-Aid of a roads bill that's, gonna, that's not going to do anything to fix the roads in South Carolina. Mm. That's, that's pathetic. If you, if, if you if drive to South Carolina, high season's coming. Go down there. I'm going home for Spoleto. And guess what? The roads are – it's like you're in Beirut in the 1980s. It's, yeah, it's we, disastrous. My family drives to Fripp Island, South Carolina, about every other year. And the roads, especially – it's you know you just have to hit these side roads. Yeah. You can't get there any other way, and they're not great. I agree. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. And multiply that times 50, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, uh, 49 times other states. And it's happening all across this country. And, again, Democrats and Republicans are both to blame for this. I mean, you've got to compromise at some point and get something done, for God's sakes. But this, this, this you know, burned-down mentality of no taxes, no, can't raise the gas tax a single cent so you can fix roads or lead pipes or whatever it is, that's crazy talk. Children, children are suffering. Mm-hmm. You know, I think this, this hearing was crazy, too, because – like, just because you're a Republican or a Democrat doesn't mean that you can't think other Republicans or Democrats screw up. Like, I just don't I don't get watching this and thinking, well, I've got to protect my party. This is not partisan. It's water. You know, it's I think it's insane. It's water. That's right. Water. Last time I checked, there is no partisan water and there right. is no partisan lead. But when you add those two together, then it becomes a deadly toxic substance. And if you put that into your body, then there's a problem. Well, and, and it's it just have lead poisoning. And isn't this just <laughs> reflective of the overall thing of yes, we understand that there are flaws to our winner take all system, but how close minded and short sighted do you have to be to see to to kill it, to, you know, to burn the house to the ground to be the winner take all? You're going to be the winner of nothing. There's going to be nothing left if you betray every shred of trust that people have in the government. Yeah, you might be the quote unquote winner of of what's Ever's left, but there's not going to be anything left to take care of or to be powerful over or to have authority over because you've just burned it all to the ground trying to win. Well, that's you hit it right on the head. And this is listen, it's all about short term gain versus long term you know, gain. And and everybody wants to win the short term, you know, that 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 first you know game of the tennis set. But you got to win two sets. You know, you Jimmy, can't just I'm win one game. A big win winner. You be you can't win Wimbledon by winning one game. I'm a running for a city commission right now, and I told someone the other day that more and more I'm realizing that politics is like parenting, and that's what I tell people all about the time about parenting. It's short-term consequences for long-term consequences. So you could mm-hmm. yep. feed them chocolate cake for breakfast, but and that will make them stop crying in the short term. <laughs> but in the long term, do you want to have to deal with a child that only thinks cake is an appropriate breakfast food? No, you don't. Like it's just it's the same right. exact thing. It's short-term for long-term. It's exactly mm-hmm. right. Well, when well, you're dealing, dealing with juveniles, which is why the Congress is, then. You <laughs> <laughs> well, talking about the short and long term of things, I thought it would be interesting to spend a quick second talking about President Obama's trip to Cuba. Um, this is another thing that I yeah. think is being bizarrely politicized. So, would love your thoughts on this, Jimmy. You know, when the, the pictures of Marine One landing in, in, in Cuba, that's that's just that's crazy. I mean, the last president to visit um, Cuba was was Coolidge. I mean, who the hell was that? I mean, I remember his name. On an but aircraft I, I, carrier, they Coolidge. said, 
or some warship. Right, right. Yeah, it took, and it took, and as the president said, it took him three days to get here. It only took Obama three hours to get Crazy. here. I mean, that's cool. Yeah. And I listen now. There are two sides to this, y'all, and 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 as there is any in anything in life, and there are plenty of, of Cubans in Miami, especially the older set, um, that remember that remember um, the pre-Castro days and owning land and owning businesses and beautiful homes and all those sorts of things, and 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 all the bad things that 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 Fidel Castro has done. Absolutely, it's all true and it's all a fact of life. But here's the deal. The deal is, is that keeping in place a John F. Kennedy administration mantra mm-hmm. some 50 years later is never a good idea. Mm-hmm. It's just not. The country changes. Cuba has changed. We have all changed, and it's time for us to open that up. I would much rather have Cuba as an ally than, have, than Cuba have Russia and China as an ally. I mean, they are right off of our coast, for God's sakes. And I would rather have a trade deal with, with them than uh, and have American businesses and American workers and American chefs and American bartenders and American this and that going down there. And by the way, you know what I want in return? I want some fabulous Cuban baseball players to come here and not have to leave their country uh, for life and death. Mm-hmm. It's t- the, the place is literally right off the coast of America of the United States of America. And a Kennedy administration policy shouldn't be in, a, in, in effect um, uh, when Kennedy has been dead for 50-something years. I just don't buy it. So, I, I, But the Cuban government's going to have to figure out what they're going to do to make it right by the people that they screwed over. I don't know that they ever will, and that resentment may be there until those people pass away and die. Um, but the president is right to open Cuba up and to, to normalize our trade relations and our, and our diplomatic relations with them. Um, and frankly, uh, I, I'd like to see more of that kind of diplomacy in the world um, than, than Iraq and Afghanistan. Frankly, I would really like to see that more. Mm-hmm. I agree with all that. I think that the only like small criticism that I have of the Obama administration about this is that it felt to me as like just an observer, obviously, of the whole thing a little bit out of the blue. Like I wondered if he had laid a little bit more pipe sort of with the American people, um, maybe with lawmakers, would this have gone over a little bit better? I mean, probably not to your point about Congress acting like children, but you know, there are people like Rand Paul out there who are like, yeah, this hasn't worked for 50 years. Let's try something new. And I think a lot of people might have come down on that side if there had been a little bit more discussion, but that, you know, that could be a fantasy on my part too. Well, I, it's not a fantasy. It, well, it, yes, it's a fantasy, but it's a fantasy in a good way in that, you know, we would like for the president to be more um, uh, in touch with Congress. And by the way, the, the, the Congress knew the president was going well before the president announced the trip. That's, that's the kind of thing that, that, that people don't understand about the relationship between the executive and the legislative branches um, is that the president lets the Congress know when these kinds of things are going to happen in advance. Um, and uh, just like any time – um, a member of Congress goes on a CODEL, a congressional delegation to a foreign country. Our State Department already knows. They know months and months and months in advance uh, because they have to get everything set up and make sure security is there, the right embassy officials are in town, et cetera, et cetera. So these things, these back-channel communications between the Congress and the White House keep happening over and over again, despite the fact that they hate each other. And the president disregards the Congress. And by the way, they disregard him and are actually violent towards him, in my opinion. Do you but think that that kind of communication – The American happen- people are different. Do you think that kind of communication happened um, around the decision to normalize relations with Cuba? That's really what I meant. Like, I, I feel like, you know, the trip is a natural yeah, extension yeah. of that choice. 
Yeah, no, the Congress knew. I mean, the Congress knew well in advance. And if you go back and you look at the press um, and what the press did and the pundits in the press, you know, even before the president made the announcement, the pundits under pressure out there crapping all over him on Fox. You know, it, 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 okay, okay, but they knew. I mean, this is what I can't stand about politics, and that is this 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 fake horror and this this awful oh this is terrible and what the president's doing any president is doing is just oh it's terrible blah 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 I'm like wait a minute but you knew he was going to do this because he'd already told the Cuban members and the, the chairman of the International Relations Committee and the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee this is going to happen I mean no president springs that kind of stuff on on a Congress they just don't do it. They just don't. Um, and, and so, you know, the, the, the fake outrage by the Congress over this is a little bit you know, nonplussing to me. I just don't buy it. Now, to your point about the president making the case of the American people, that's a separate issue. Um, and I hate to say this, but I don't think the American people actually care. They don't care until they need to care. That's sad. Um, but the president, if the president got up and, and, and did a, you know, a, uh, an address to the nation on going to Cuba, I can promise you no one would watch it. Yeah. Nobody, except for people in Miami. That's it. Um, and so it's not worth the time for him to do that, but sell it. I mean, my God, he's got the best bully pulpit in the whole world. He's got the best plane in the whole world. And he can run around the country and talk about these jobs and this person and this, you know, a business that's going to come here, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I'm, it reminds me of, and this is an interesting thing. Um, um, who's the guy that does uh, the Friday night thing on CNN about food? Um, oh, hell. Uh, tall, gray hair. Anthony Bourdain? Um, Anthony Bourdain. Yeah, sorry. I haven't had enough coffee this morning. Anthony <laughs> Bourdain. Um, it, you know, there was a piece in the Times a couple months ago about how Anthony Bourdain is going to open up this fantastic 24-7 um, open-air market with high-end restaurants, um, low-end restaurants, um, fishmongers, butchers, et cetera, et cetera. And Anthony Bourdain's biggest problem in this entire thing isn't getting permits from the city of New York um, to, 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 to build this thing out. It's not, his biggest problem isn't getting investors. His biggest problem is getting the government to get him visas for the vendors he wants to bring. Mm. Now think about that for a minute. That's the same exact thing that Barack Obama's doing. He's now opening Cuba up to the rest of this country. And that's a big deal because if anybody goes down, you know, one of my close friends is down there right now. And she said, I just want to eat myself to death. And she's a chef. So there you go. Okay. That's, that's fascinating. That's why this kind of stuff is good. And if the president said, Hey, Anthony Bourdain, I don't know who you're thinking about bringing in from Cuba, but guess what? I just made it a hell of a lot easier for you. Then that's a real life situation. Go talk about that. He convinced the American people. Well, that would be super helpful, especially in this election when you have such a strong kind of anti-globalization sentiment happening in the electorate. I think it would be great to have some yeah. positive examples of what opening up trade can do. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. I mean, trade's a two-way street, right? I mean, it's, it's – and, and no one can doubt – and listen, I, I worked on a lot of trade bills. I worked on the China PNTR bill, which is PNTR, is Permanent Normal Trade Relations with China, because every year before we passed um, the China bill, you had to go to Congress um, and get um, authority to, to trade with Congress, and we made it so that you didn't have to do that anymore. Um, did that affect American jobs? Absolutely, no doubt about it. The Africa bill, um, what else did we work on? I mean, we worked on all kinds of trade bills. 
um, and trade uh, uh, and trade uh, pieces of legislation. And the fact of life is some trade affects American workers. But I hate to say this, but I'm going to do it anyway because, you know, I like to just push the button, right? Nobody in America is ever going to make a sock again. They're not. No one's going to make tube socks in America again. They're not going to make them because America is addicted to tube socks and they can buy them for 55 cents at Walmart. <laughs> and they're made in China. Well, if you don't like the fact that you want to pay $35 for a pair of tube socks made in America with American hands, an American factory that's a whatever, then you're welcome to go pay $35 for that. But, it's, but you're not going to because those jobs have gone. They're never going to come back, ever, period, because it's just cheaper to make it somewhere else. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsu for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. 
Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Now, that's the federal government passing a trade deal called NAFTA that made it easier for socks to be made somewhere else for a lot cheaper. Workers in South Carolina and North Carolina and the shoe manufacturers in Maine, those are all gone for the most part. So what do you do with the people that lost their jobs? Well, if the federal government is responsible for making people lose their jobs through no fault of their own, then the federal government, by damn, should retrain those folks into doing something different. Absolutely. And they should pay for it. And you know what? I have zero problem with my taxes going up to retrain American workers into becoming, you know, uh, you know, robot fixers or whatever it is. I, I don't care. I don't care what it is. Just them into a trade or a profession so they can live out the rest of their working life, their professional life with some dignity and a decent check as opposed to sitting around and being bitter. That's what's wrong here. And we don't do that. We just do a terrible job at retraining America's workers. Well, we're not retraining them. I mean, there's a really great This American Life where basically the, that, the economy that was used to be in so many parts of the country, the economies that were built on manufacturing jobs are now propped up by disability mm-hmm. checks. That's just what that, that's just what it is. Which, right. And, and, and by the way, does anyone think that being on disability is, is a, is, is a, you can be proud of that? Mm-hmm. You don't want to be proud of it. You want to work. You want to get mm-hmm. out there and be productive and do stuff and, and, and be able to come home on a Friday and bitch and complain that you, your back hurts and you want to drink a beer or a bourbon and smoke a cigar, you know, or maybe play around a golf on Saturday and be like, man, what a hard week. I worked my butt off. Yeah. Nobody, nobody in America wants to not say that. Yeah. So it's it's time for you know, but 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 well, there might be a couple, but they're not our real about, problem. Well, that's but the, yeah. So uh, fine, okay, fine. I I will submit that there are some people that don't want to work. I get that. And by the way, that is not a race issue. That is an American issue. That's an entitled American <laughs> that's issue a psychology of people issue. <laughs> not wanting to get out of it. It's a psychology issue. I mean, I'm sure that's probably elsewhere in the world too. But you know, but that is that that's fear that Americans have. And it's frustrating for me because I look at it and I go, okay, so you're pissed off at American politicians, yet you shop at Walmart. Seriously? Mm-hmm. You really That's are right. that upset with, 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 your, with, your, with, with the people you call the honorables? No. How about don't shop at Walmart? And by the way, I have zero problem with Walmart. I have no problem with Walmart because they deliver products to the American people at a reasonable cost. I understand it. I understand business. I get that. But if you don't like not having a job and you used to make tube socks, then stop shopping at Walmart, for God's sakes. Sorry. It's just a fact. Well, I think that's the <laughs> obstacle to get anything done on this. Everybody has to be honest about it, and no politician wants to stand up and say, I'm sorry, all these textile jobs are gone and they're not coming back. I mean, that's step one, right? We can have a conversation about retraining yeah. workers, but you have to have to go through step one first. Well, yeah, we, that's uh, exactly uh, right. That's right. Since we've been kind of down for a second, we'll we'll move over to some complimenting of our of our representatives. Sarah and I always like to take a second to compliment someone who we usually disagree with, and you can do the same, Jimmy, or just comment on our selections. Um, Sarah, you want to start? Okay. No, you start, Beth. I gotta think about mine for a second. Okay. Well, I heard um, Steve Israel, representative from New York, 
interviewed this week and he is not seeking re-election and he described himself as liberated by that to speak freely in this interview which I thought was funny and sad but I really appreciated um, his discussion about gerrymandering and he he was talking about partisan polarization and how really the only way we're going to combat that is to redistrict and he said that as someone who probably would not normally say that, right, because a lot of Democrats in New York are helped by the districting, just as a lot of Republicans throughout the United States are. So I thought it was a, a really important point. I think having more people speak out about it is important. And if that requires people who aren't seeking reelection to do the talking, then I guess that's where we are. But um, needs to happen for sure. So I think I'm going to go, uh, Jimmy, you're not going to be able to comment on this person because you don't know them. <laughs> They're not a famous Republican. But Beth and I um, went to college with a guy that was sort of my arch nemesis all through school named Brian Jewell. Very, very conservative guy. Very, very conservative Christian. And he, I was thinking about him the other day, and he's been very upfront with a lot of people. Um, and I think a lot of – I guess I'll, I'll throw this out to a larger um, conservative evangelical community, which is not my community. But I feel like there's been some really strong voices in that community that have stood up against Donald Trump and said there's a point at which – you know, politics is not morals and morals are not politics. And we need to talk about the bigger issue here. We cannot stand with this person. This does not represent our ethics. Um, and I'm trying to think of that. Did we ever share the um, the essay uh, about the person of character? Beth, what, who's the guy? I can't think of his name. I'm blanking on his name. I don't think so. He, who wrote that? The guy that about his daughters. He didn't he wanted his daughters to meet men of character. Oh, Max Lucado. Max Lucado. Thank you. So I'll add him to the pile about that. I just think that there's been some really strong voices in the evangelical community that have said, like, no, no, this is not acceptable. And I, I praise those people. You know, it's interesting. Um, I don't know who um, this, this guy, your, your arch nemesis in, in, in college was. I don't know who he is. But you got to laud him for doing this. Mm-hmm. I mean, Donald Trump is, is, is a And there's a lot of people a, doing that, I think, in that community. Okay, and, and, and good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, because, you know, honestly, and not because I want a Democrat in the White House. I mean, obviously, I want a Democrat in the White House. I'm a Democrat, and I've been out front about Hillary Clinton being the first woman president. But set that aside. Set aside my partisanship on that, because I, I can, I can do that. I've, I mean, I, by the way, I vote for Republicans if they're, if they're good Republicans. In my mind, good Republicans. But, you know, the, the, the evangelical movement looks at that guy. And when you say two Corinthians, I remember I remember watching that when he said it, and I thought, "Oh my God, he has no idea what Second Corinthians is." Wow. I bet you, if you even asked him if that's in the Old or the New Testament, he wouldn't know. He would have absolutely no idea where that book is in the Bible. Yeah, that's what's so funny about it. And and evangelicals went, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, no, 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 no! I don't believe that you're actually one of us." And by the way, they're right. He's not. Mm-hmm. He's not an evangelical. He's just not. Mm-hmm. And so just because you write a check to a, to a church doesn't make you a great Christian. Right. Um, but at the same time, I don't know Donald, faith, Donald Trump's faith. I can't tell you. I don't care about Donald Trump's faith. I care about how he treats other people. And that's the other reason why evangelicals should despise Donald Trump, because he's just boorish and rude. Yeah. And he's bad to people. Yeah. Um, you know, now, Steve Israel thing, that's fascinating because, you know, Steve Israel's district out on Long Island um, that he's about to retire and give up was always a marginal district. It was never a strong de- Democrat plus 20 district. It was always one that he had to fight for. 
Um, and he's right about the gerrymandering. Um, you, your, your listeners may want to go back and listen to the podcast that we did. It was a two-part series um, uh, at Decode DC on the politics of the South that we did. And I actually went down Ooh, to Columbia, to South Carolina. And it's, it's fascinating. Um, I sat down. I got Gilda Cobb Hunter, who's a House Democrat, and Phyllis Henderson, who's a, um, um, a, um, a, a House Republican, to both admit that black members of the House and the Senate draw their districts to protect black constituents and white members do exactly the same thing mm. and they do it wanton, wantonly and knowingly. And so what does that mean? It means that no white people have to live near black people because they don't live in those neighborhoods and vice versa. And white representatives don't necessarily represent black constituents and vice versa. Yeah. And they both admit that the system that the system is rigged and it's wrong and it perpetuates racism on a very local level down in South Carolina. I got two members of the of the House, a Republican and a Democrat, to admit that to me. Wow. When when mm. Demo- when when people admit that gerrymandering is bad it's and so it bad. can affect their own seats, then that tells you how bad it is. <laughs> That's the gerrymandering is the source of my favorite phrase when people start going off about politicians, which is don't hate the player, hate the game. These people aren't bad people of bad moral character, except for Donald Trump, who I do believe to be a bad person of bad moral character. But it's just, I mean, <laughs> it's the system. It's a rigged system. Well, yeah. hey, why don't we move yeah, that's, on? That's then exactly to- right. Why don't we move on then to kind of talking more about uh, Donald Trump and specifically the efforts to stop him in our next segment, The Suit. So, Jimmy, um, I am fascinated by the Stop Trump movement, which seems to me to be more than a day late and a dollar short and (laughs) also um, completely divorced from the reality of the Republican Party and all of its facets. Um, But would love your thoughts on kind of what these folks are doing and and what you would advise if you were trying to help the, the Stop Trump movement in the Republican Party. Wow, where does one begin? First, you're right, they're a day, a day late. They're, they're a day late, but not a dollar short. But it doesn't matter how much money they spend. They're not going to be able to stop this guy. They're just not. And if they do, if they go to the convention in Cleveland, which I will be at, um, then they're going to have a bigger problem because the floor, uh, the, the, the convention floor, the floor, the delegates on the floor of the convention are going to go batshit crazy. And I'm not joking when I tell you that. They're going to go nuts because guess what? He's won all these delegates. He's won them fair and square. Mm-hmm. And it's the Republican Party's own fault. And it's not just their fault that a Donald Trump has won those, those, those delegates um, and has won those states and caucuses, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's the Republican Party's fault for getting in bed with these crazy people to begin with. And, and, I, and, and frankly, as I've said over and over again, I'm not here to bail the Republicans out. I want the Republican Party to not only be a thriving American political party, because I want to compete with the Republicans with ideas and policies and principles and then let the American people decide both on the federal, state, national, local level. I want that to happen. But I have, I'll be daggone if I'm going to sit around and feel sympathy for somebody who literally got into bed with people who decided, you know, that, that this, is the, this is the Republican Party that we're going to be, that we're going to, it's going to be, you know, we're going to do anything we can to kill Barack Obama and his legacy. We can do anything we can to stop the Democrats from getting anything done. We can do anything we can to say no to roads funding and schools funding and bridges funding and lead pipe funding. This is the kind of stuff where – and by the way, 
making deals with someone like um, Grover uh, um, Norquist. No new taxes ever, period, no matter what. Who the hell thinks that is smart? Mm. Does anybody actually, if you put that thought into your brain and you process it, or maybe not process it, and you think to yourself, at some point, we have to, if George H.W. Bush could, could, could strike a deal with Republicans and Democrats in the House and the Senate to raise taxes, and then Bill Clinton could inherit, could inherit that, that economic legacy, and he did, then it seems to me that you can do the same thing going forward. But no, no new taxes. And all these members have signed a pledge with Grover Norquist, the shortest man in America, with the smallest <laughs> brain in America, right? To, to, to say no, no matter what, no, no, absolutely not, no new taxes, because everybody's utterly terrified of being primaried from the right if they actually raise the gas tax by one cent. This is the problem with the Republican Party now, because they've actually gotten in bed with the crazies. And the crazies, when the, when the, when the, when the tail is wagging the dog, then the dog dies at some point. Mm. And that's the sad part about the Republican Party. This is not the party of Lincoln. And we can run around and say, you know, Abraham Lincoln and Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan raised taxes 11 times, America. Did you know that? Wow. He raised taxes 11 times. And no one talks about that. You well, know? And I just don't understand this, this, this theory. I don't understand that as a theory, that, that, that the Republicans have to get rid of the crazies. And by the way, the Democrats have gone through this too, y'all. They've mm. gone through this as well. Yep. Well, and I was just thinking about that this morning. I was thinking about, they were talking about, you know, Donald Trump and the establishment's attempt to stop him. And I know, you know, Beth and I have talked about this with sort of my stance on superdelegates, which I don't hate like everyone else. But I do sort of feel like beyond just the bigger strate- strategy of the, I almost said strategy like George Bush and SNL, the bigger strategy of the party Beyond sort of the tax issues, which I agree with, I think that there was some selling out to win that has long-term consequences. But I also think, like, you just didn't do your job. Like, there's an – I mean, I'm not an establishment kind of girl usually, but there needs to be some kind of gatekeeping so that someone doesn't get this close with no qualifications to the highest office in the land. Like, what happened? Where did the system break down? Like, I'm not saying the system can't be improved upon, but dang, somebody should have, there should have been some sort of roadblock so that before he gets to be the party's nominee, we thought, hey, do you have any qualifications to be the president of the United States? I mean, it's just, it's sort of crazy. Well, but we're, but we're a democracy. Yeah. And, and we're a republic. And, and if you're a democracy and a republic at the same time, then the people choose. And the people choose the nominees within the political party parameters. And the, the political, the Republican Party parameters are remarkably clear. And, 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 and by the way, Republicans don't have superdelegates. Only Democrats have superdelegates. And I ended my, one of my last podcasts talking about superdelegates saying, I bet you, you know, the Republicans are sitting there quietly thinking, oh my God, hey, let's pick up the phone and call the DNC. How do we get these things called? <laughs> How do we get superdelegates? Do you have any despair? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Because otherwise they're not going to be able to stop this guy. But I think that that's unstoppable. I I think there's such a part of superdelegates to me that, you know, if you have such a, you know, the Democratic Party is not this unified force. And so when you let it's there's nothing wrong with letting in 
bigger voices. You know, I always kind of use Code Pink as the example of the extreme and the Democratic Party. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying silent these people. I'm just saying be smart about the system you set up that includes them. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Well, I yeah, think, so I think seeing, that's exactly right. 
But I think the worst thing that Republicans can do now at this point is try to do some cute rule changes. Yeah. I mean, this this train has left the station. Right. And it and it has done that in part because of a feeling that people like Mitch McConnell have um, manipulated the process so much and people are sick of it. And I don't agree with the way they're expressing that frustration. But I think the party is only worse off if they try to derail this at this point. Jimmy, are you a person that sees the Republican Party party splitting. Do you see this process sort of as the end of the GOP as we know it? I mean, that would be the biggest thing in our lifetime. I we think see so too. That the Republican Party did that, but but do I think that's necessary? Yeah, I do. I don't think you can make peace with people who don't want to make peace. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, I, I, I can, I'm not comparing the Republican Party to what's happening in Iraq and what's happening in the Middle East. Um, but for example, you know. It, if you want to win a war, you have to win it. And if you if you war, you know the Japanese didn't compromise with America and the rest of the world, the rest of the Allies, until we nuked two parts of their country. It took that to end that part of the war. Think about that. Yeah. Now bring that to a political level, and and I mean look at how how does the Republican Party reconcile? I mean, are there any Republicans? left in office for the most part in New England or in like you know that area of the country. No, because there's no such thing as a liberal Republican anymore. They're gone. They don't exist because of the party purity test. And if you don't if this idea that listen, here's the thing I will give Democrats credit for. Democrats have zero problem with having business friendly Democrats. Oh yeah, we or, got conservative you know, Democrats. Pro life Democrats. Let me tell you that for sure. That's exactly my point. That's exactly my point. And Democrats are like, hey, here's the deal. You may be liberal. You may be from Louisville, and you're going to be liberal because you can get away with that. I'm a um, a Berea. I can't get away with that. i got to be more conservative if I want to be a Democrat and be in the Democratic caucus. Mm -hmm. But Republicans have just said, nope, I'm done with that because there's a purity test. And I just think that's craziness. And when when you put blind ideological um, limits on, on 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 democracy, then then that is a that is a massive way of 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 causing strife within a political party. And I and I just you ask me is is the party going to split? I don't know. I can tell you this much: if they go to Cleveland and they pull a fast one and they don't nominate Donald Trump and they put somebody else in, then the party will split. Yeah. Although I don't know that it happens right then. And I don't know the ramifications of that. Do I think that they probably need to do that at some point? Yes, I do. I absolutely do. Because you've got to get rid of the people that are just the – you can be the loudest person in the room, but only a person of one. That doesn't make you a political party. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're just a crybaby. Well, and it's so, crybaby. It's so interesting are. to me that you brought up the World War II and the nuclear option because I heard an NPR person. I, told, I talked about this in a previous episode. Somebody called in from NPR and said, I voted for Donald Trump because I'm a traditional, fiscally conservative Republican, and I want to see the party explode. I want that option. I want it to just explode. You know, I want the nuclear option so that I get the party that I want back. I haven't had it in decades, and I want that party back. So it's really interesting that you used that analogy. And I don't even know that. I mean, what happens? For me, as I mean, I think I am a liberal Republican in a lot of ways, um, or a, a crazy moderate, at least as we talk about on our show a lot. Um, I, I don't think there is even a going back. You know, there's not a version of 
Republican that I think really suits us in 2016. I think there yeah. are a lot of principles that used to be part of the party that could be helpful. But we we need a party, a place for people who believe in limited government, who believe in pro-business policy, but also believe in supporting families that look like all kinds of things that we don't think of as traditional marriage, you know, a party that cares about people, that has an approach to foreign policy that includes diplomacy. I mean, we we just need to kind of go back to the drawing board on a lot of this, because I think there are a lot of people who share those viewpoints, but none of them run right now because you're right, Jimmy, there's this purity test. I, t- I tell people all the time, look, I'd love to run for office as a Republican. The party itself would eat me alive. I would never mm-hmm. get to a general election. True, true, very true. Yep. Well, with, with that fun thought in mind, <laughs> we'll end on a light note. So, uh, we always do a segment called The Heels where we talk about something a little bit more fun. And our folks on Twitter love the West Wing. I was just reminded of how old I am, though, because uh, one of our listeners, Justin, has just started watching the West Wing for the first time. And he commented that it was like Downton Abbey in the White House. And that was magical. <laughs> and it made me laugh so hard and also feel really, really old. <laughs> So anyway, I thought we would um, all maybe say who our favorite West Wing character is or who we think we most resemble. So I would love to hear uh, your answer to that, Jimmy. Well, can you all go first? So I need to look up one thing real quick. <laughs> sure. I tell you well, I told her I didn't want to go is. first because that was like picking children. How am I supposed to pick who I love the most? Oh, my gosh. Well, I'll go and then you can think about it. <laughs> so, um, so my favorite is Leo, and I, I think that – that just reflects sort of my approach to life. Like I would, I would love to be a chief of staff someday. I I love the, the idea of just sort of, you know, laying down your life for someone else basically uh, to advance a cause. And I, I like the pragmatism of Leo. I like how he cares about everybody, but is also just a beast about getting stuff done. So that's my choice. Hands down. Oh, I just, um, it's so hard. Cause I want to put pick CJ or Abigail Bartlett, the first lady, because I really identify with them as the female characters, and I loved both of them so, so, so much. But I really think at the end of the day, like when I go back and watch moments from the show, it's always President Bartlett. It's always mm-hmm. him speaking. So I think, I mean, I think you have to, I think I might have to pick President Bartlett. I just love, I love the character. I love the vulnerability. I love the humanness they brought to him and his, you know, principles. Like I was watching the, Thanksgiving episode back at Thanksgiving with the knife and the Paul Revere knife that it gives to oh gosh I'm just like tearing up I love it so much he's so beautiful beautiful human being you fictional character (laughs) we love fictional characters don't we because they're easier on life Mm. um my you mentioned CJ or Claudia Jean as as I like to call her uh, who's (laughs) Allison Janney on um, West Wing um, but I and I love Allison Janney she does no wrong she She doesn't like you know it's true she she does no wrong but who I loved more was her assistant, Carol. Oh, yeah. Oh, Carol. In real life, is Melissa Fitzgerald. So um, Melissa Fitzgerald is a good – I will readily admit she's a good friend of mine. I've worked with her and her work with veterans and treatment courts. Um, she is based here in Washington, D.C. She is smart. She is funny. She is – in real life. Um, and set her character aside um, on, on the West Wing because her character was limited to a large degree. But the work that she's doing now, I look at it and I think, okay, you can be a, a beautiful, gr- glamorous, smart Hollywood actor or actress, and then in real life, do good. And that's Melissa Fitzgerald. And you should, you know what, you really should get her on your podcast. Um, and I can help you with that if you want. But, but I got to tell you, she is 
fabulous, and she's funny, and she's got it going. And she was great on the West Wing as CJ's assistant. He kept CJ in line all the time. She was really an unsung hero, that one, on the show. Like, she was just, yeah, like, absolutely. very, like, yeah. constant. It was She was awesome. And we would love to talk yeah, to her absolutely. sometime. That's amazing. Well, it was so great I to have you with like us, Jimmy. Time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, y'all. I appreciate it. And good luck with the podcasting. I think you're rocking it and killing it. Thank you, you so too. much. Love what you're doing. All right. All right. Thank you very much, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everyone, for joining us with our interview with Jimmy. And as always, keep it nuanced, y'all.